Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 1 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case, with the second instalment available next week. To gain exclusive access to Season 1 and ad-free versions of our episodes a few days before their general release, head to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. A highly volatile nightclub doorman is released from prison. He is in a jealous rage. The carnage that followed saw one person dead and two left with life-threatening injuries. The attacks would spur one of the biggest manhunts the UK had ever seen, culminating in a standoff that resulted in yet another life being taken.
On Friday, July 2nd, 2010, the residents of the usually quiet Scorfell cul-de-sac were settling in for the night. Scorfell is located in Burtley Gateshead, a town off the bank of the River Tyne in the northeast of England. The majority of the two-storey homes that line the entrance of the cul-de-sac are set a small distance apart and predominantly occupied by older residents. From the first-floor window of each property on the estate, a homeowner can catch a good glimpse of their neighbours' comings and goings. Due to a lack of hedges and low brick walls that border the front gardens of the majority of properties, in daylight, there is an uninterrupted view of the entire cul-de-sac from the doorway of each home. As you come to the end of the road, a footpath opens out onto a large area of square grassland, bordered by houses. While not accessible by car, the footpath links the homes in the area of the estate. In the early hours of July 3rd, the residents of Scorfell heard a commotion. Some at first assumed it to be teenagers playing outside, but then there was a scream, shortly followed by what sounded like a gunshot. Neighbours jumped from their beds, some peered out of their windows, and others ran downstairs outside to see what was going on. A second gunshot rang out. One young resident who lived with his parents made his way out of the front door to see what was happening. He found himself in the sights of a man with a gun. The man was stocky in build and was standing outside a neighbouring property. He reloaded his weapon. The shooter trained the gun on his new target, only to become distracted and focused his attention on what appeared to be one of his victims, a male who was lying motionless on the grass outside. It was barely a few moments later when he again pulled the trigger for the third time. The man lying on the grass was struck at point-blank range in the back of the head. He was executed. The terrified witness watched as the gunman walked towards a nearby property and fired through the window of the home. After shards of glass went everywhere, the attacker could be seen peering in through the gaping hole in the window. Almost imperceptibly, it seemed as though the shooter was about to turn the gun on himself. As noises from the house became louder and louder, a woman could be heard screaming, You bastard! You bastard! You shot him, you bastard! Several neighbours emerged from their homes, and the gunman fled. The emergency services were alerted by several panicked residents around 2.40am with one of the call handlers being told that a victim appeared to be dead outside and another was injured, possibly deceased in the house. When the police and paramedics from the Northeast Ambulance Service arrived, onlookers watched from their bedroom windows as the male who lay huddled on the grass was carefully turned over. The front of his clothes was soaked in blood. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Paramedics turned their attention to the other victim, 
She had been shot in the living room as the gunman had stood outside. She was struck in the arm and stomach. The young woman in her 20s was rushed to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Gateshead with life-threatening injuries. She remained in a critical condition as on-call nurses and doctors continued fighting to save her life. She was in surgery for eight hours. There was a heavy police presence. A team of scene of crime officers examined the home as a fingertip search was conducted on the path outside. A forensic tent was set up on the grass where one of the victims had been shot. A police helicopter could be heard overhead in pursuit of the gunman. As the first reports of the incident reached the public, Detective Superintendent Steve Howells from the Northumbria Police confirmed to the media that a manhunt involving 50 officers was underway as the suspect had yet to be tracked down. Authorities took the unusual step at this stage in the inquiry of revealing both the name and a photo of the gunman. He was identified as 37-year-old bodybuilder Raoul Thomas Mote, a 6-foot 3-inch former nightclub doorman who had only recently been released from prison in County Durham. Police raided his home in Fenham, an area of Newcastle-upon-Tyne north of the river, although they found the property empty. Several officers remained outside. In a statement, D.S. Howells told the press, We believe he targeted the two victims because of a grudge he harboured against them. He is from the Newcastle area, and he should not be approached by members of the public. A weapon used in the attack had not been recovered, although based on witness statements, the police considered it to be a shotgun. It was confirmed that Moat had spent a short period behind bars for what the police described as a low-level assault on a family member. It was later confirmed in court documents that this was one of Moat's daughters. He was released on Thursday, July 1st, around 36 hours before the attack. Police were unsure of how Moat was travelling, either by foot or by car. The public were urged to call the police immediately if Moat was spotted, and advice was given not to approach him, as it was believed he was still armed with the shotgun used in the shooting. Witnesses at the scene were interviewed, with Scorfell resident 50-year-old George Williamson explaining to reporters that his son, who ran outside to see what was going on, almost became another victim. Quote, I don't know the full details. My son has just clammed up. But what I do know is the lad who did this had just got out of jail at noon yesterday. A woman, the suspect's ex-girlfriend, is critically ill in hospital. Her new partner collapsed outside the house and was pronounced dead at the scene. A post-mortem was due to establish the cause of death, but neighbours say he'd been shot in the back of the head. I heard the screaming, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. And we start, well, I was starting to get out of bed, then I heard a gunshot. 
And by the time we got the window, me and the wife were sort of looking out their bedroom window, he, there was a second gunshot went off. We couldn't really focus what was happening at the other side of the green. And after that, I went straight to the phone. I was halfway to the phone and then I heard a third gunshot. I don't know whether it was three, two or three shots. He, he like, shot through the window and then he just walked away. The surviving victim, who had been shot through the window of a friend's home, was identified as mother of one, 22-year-old Samantha Stobart. She had previously been in a relationship with Raoul Mote for around six years, and they had a child together. Chanel was only a few years old and was at the house at the time of the attack. Samantha's family held a vigil at her bedside following several operations to stop the bleeding. Kelly Stobart, Samantha's half-sister, gave an interview to a reporter for the News of the World. She's been shot in the chest and stomach. Her body's been ripped apart. She's on a life support machine and is critical. The hospital have told us to expect the worst. Samantha's grandmother also spoke about her granddaughter's relationship with Raoul Mote. They had split up before his release from prison. It was on and off, Agnes Hornsby said. They met when he was working as a bouncer at Liquid Nightclub in Newcastle. She lived with me for about six or seven months after she left Raoul, but she left him because he would lose his temper and hit her. He would come back, sweet-talk her, and then she'd go back. I kept telling her to leave him, but she would not listen. In later interviews, Moat's neighbours in Fenham, Newcastle, recalled how disgusted they were by his behaviour. They labelled him a bully and spoke of an incident in which he abandoned one of his young daughters out in the freezing rain. When the child was found, they were wearing a bib covered in writing. Moat had scrawled the words, I've been cheeky to my daddy. Another incident involved one of his daughters, who was two at the time. Mysteriously, she fell 35 feet out of a window, though thankfully received nothing more than severe bruising. Moat believed the accident was caused by a lack of safety locks on the windows of his council property, so after his complaints fell on deaf ears, he turned up at the city housing office. He left a lasting impression on the staff. Samantha Stobart was a target of Moat's abuse, and neighbours frequently heard Moat shouting. He was highly paranoid, continually believing that she was having an affair while they were together. Newcastle social services were frequently visiting the family. On one occasion, Samantha posted a status update on Facebook, explaining that she was going to be going out with a friend. When Moat read the post, he travelled to Samantha's parents, brandishing a firearm threatening her and her family for two hours. In another incident, he smashed the windows of their home.
only a few days before the shooting, on Wednesday, June 30th, Moat called Samantha to tell her he was going to be released from prison the following day and he wanted to see her. In the phone conversation, Moat was told that the relationship was over. Samantha had moved out of Moat's property on Fenham Hall Drive and found a place of her own. She had begun seeing father of two, Chris Brown. He was a 29-year-old karate instructor who had recently moved to the northeast from Slough in Berkshire. Brownie, as he was affectionately called, had only been romantically involved with Samantha Stobart for a week. On the night of July 2nd, they planned an evening out, with Samantha's daughter Chanel staying with a babysitter. Having no idea what to say, Samantha had falsely claimed to Moat that her new boyfriend was a policeman, perhaps as a way to deter her former partner from lashing out. She hoped he would stay away. Learning that Samantha had found someone else, from his prison cell in County Durham, Moat was furious. His brother would later describe this event as being the straw that broke the camel's back. Samantha was told by Moat that she was going to be one of the first people he would visit when he got out. He tried to make contact numerous times and at one point spoke with her on the phone on the evening of July 2nd, hours before the attack. However, she was out with Chris Brown at the time. Hearing noises of a busy pub in the background, Moat became irate. Fearing for her safety, Samantha decided that staying out was not a good idea. She thought it best to pick up her daughter Chanel, who was being looked after by Samantha's mother and a friend. They made the drive to the address in Burtley two doors down from her parents. Wanting to protect his new girlfriend... Chris Brown travelled with Samantha. The new couple spent the rest of the evening and early hours of the next day at the home of husband and wife, Carl and Jacqueline Wilkinson. Samantha's mother Leslie was there that night chatting with Jacqueline. Chanel was upstairs asleep along with the Wilkinson's 11-year-old son. Moted called Leslie asking about her daughter but he was told to leave his ex-partner alone because Samantha had found someone else. When he heard that Samantha had moved on, Raoul Moat told prison guards and fellow inmates he had nothing to live for. By all accounts up until this point, he had been relatively subdued, even described as a quiet family man by another prisoner. Moat was devising his revenge and told his cellmate what he planned to do. It was only after Moat walked out of the gates at HMP Durham that the Northumbria police came to learn of his intentions. Few could have predicted the lengths Moat would go to to exact retribution against the people he thought had wronged him. On the morning of Friday, July 2nd, 2010, less than 24 hours before the shooting, Moat had a conversation with a friend on Facebook. At 11.21am he wrote, 
just got out of the slammer to a totally fucked life. Eleven minutes later, he added, Lost my business, kids to social services, gonna lose my home and lost my missus of nearly six years to a copper, like they haven't fucked my life enough over the years. The conversation continued for almost an hour, with Moat questioning his circumstances. When it's over, it's all a pile of chaos. How did a guy who had it all end up in this situation? Officials at HMP Durham had produced a security information report, which was passed to Northumbria Police later that day. It mentioned that Raoul Moat intended to seriously assault his ex-partner. There was no mention of a real and immediate threat to life. At an inquest many years later, it would be revealed that a box marked Action Immediately was not ticked by the prison official who completed the report, as he did not know what it meant. The constabulary were familiar with Raoul Moat. On one occasion, which led to a failed court case, Moat was pulled over in a car he had borrowed. An array of weapons were found that included a knuckle duster and a samurai sword. He was ultimately found not guilty after he claimed the items, some of which were concealed, did not belong to him. He said he was unaware they were there. Moat was highly paranoid of the police, having been arrested around a dozen times. He felt they were continually pursuing him. He set up a system of cameras that surrounded his home to capture their every move. Born in 1973, Raoul Moat led a troubled existence. When he was a young man, he saw little of his mother Josephine as she was struggling to manage her mental health issues, so her son was raised by his grandmother Margaret, along with his older half-brother Angus. Angus would later give an interview with the Guardian newspaper in which he described his mother's illness. She was coming out with all this religious mumbo-jumbo. We are the chosen people and you're going to be princes and you'll have crowns and don't be sad because the devil doesn't want you to be sad. When you're seven years old, you believe what adults tell you. But even at seven, I was thinking, this is crazy and I was crying my eyes out about it. I was very upset. Moat attended both Stocksfield Primary, then Rutherford High School. In between terms, he took caravan breaks away with his family, visiting Rothbury, a small market town often referred to as a village, on the River Coke at almost 30 miles north from Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Moat's uncle Charlie Alexander would later go on to speak to the Chronicle newspaper and describe a quiet child who was very different from the man he would go on to become. Raoul used to just stand there, talk and answer questions calmly. He wasn't any trouble at all. But when his grandmother died, he cut himself off from all the family. We think it was because he thought no one wanted him, including his mother and stepfather. Josephine would never tell him who his dad was. After Moat left home, he focused on bodybuilding, a pastime that led to steroid abuse. 
His brother Angus went off to university and they became more and more estranged as years went by. Moat fathered two children before beginning a relationship with Samantha Stobart in his early 30s. The couple had a daughter, Chanel, before splitting up, following Moat's sentence for assault and his subsequent time in prison. Although aware of Raoul Moat's intentions before his release, At the time, Northumbria police did not believe there was a direct threat to life. Temporary Chief Constable Sue Sim would later clarify. Northumbria police were not informed that Mr Mote intended to shoot or kill Samantha Stobart. We were informed on Friday afternoon by Durham Prison that Mr Mote may intend to cause serious harm to his partner. By the early morning hours of July 3rd, Motor tracks Samantha down. Prior to the shooting, he had had a phone conversation with Carl Wilkinson. Along with his wife Jacqueline, Wilkinson lived at the address where Moat's daughter was currently asleep and Samantha and her boyfriend Chris Brown had stopped by after a night out. On the call, Moat, who was becoming increasingly paranoid, accused Wilkinson of having an affair with Samantha, despite the continual protests from Wilkinson that Moat was mistaken. According to a handwritten letter later found by the police, Moat alleged he had been waiting outside the property listening through an open window as he heard Samantha talking to Chris. Moat sent a text message to a friend which read, They are slagging me off. My suffering is funny, apparently. We'll see who's laughing. Fueled by a history of violence and steroid abuse, Moat would utilise a sawn-off shotgun with customised rounds. Completely unaware of the fate that awaited him, as it was getting late, Chris Brown decided to head home. He kissed Samantha one last time before they went outside and were greeted by the crisp night air. Although they had no idea where Moat was, Chris was carrying an iron bar in case of an attack. It would be no match for a shotgun. As they opened the gate at the front of the property, Chris and Samantha were unaware of the shadow hiding in the darkness. They were standing near a large piece of grassland, a short distance from the front door. Samantha then saw a figure jump out from under the window, and she recognised him immediately. She shouted, It's Raoul. Chris Brown stepped in front of her. Moat fired the first of several shots. Chris was struck in the chest. The force of the blast knocked Samantha off her feet, but she managed to get up and ran back inside the house. As the horrendous events unfolded before their eyes, Leslie Stobart ran upstairs and grabbed her granddaughter Chanel, along with Carl and Jacqueline Wilkinson's 11-year-old son, ordering the children to stay in the attic. 
After slamming the front door, Samantha and her friends desperately tried to look for the keys to lock up, but they could not find them. Jacqueline Wilkinson dialed 999 as Chris Brown was still outside with a wound to his chest. He staggered a few yards but was again shot by Moat, this time in the back as Samantha's mother watched on in horror from the attic window. Moat then reloaded his double-barreled shotgun. He was careful with the second cartridge. Moat was under the belief that it was a customised cartridge he made, filled with shards of metal that would leave countless pieces of shrapnel in his victim. Moat never intended to kill the mother of his child, only maim her. A reminder of what Moat saw as infidelity against him. He also believed that she would get some form of compensation for the attack that could be used to support her and Moat's daughter. However, what Moat didn't know was he had actually loaded two standard shotgun cartridges in the weapon. This customised cartridge wouldn't be used until his next attack less than 24 hours later. Moat fired the shotgun for a third time, shooting Chris Brown at point-blank range in the head. As Leslie Stobart was on the phone to the police, Samantha looked out of the front window to find out what had happened to Chris. Moat then fired the weapon for a fourth time through the glass. Samantha watched the sparks fly as she was struck through her left arm, which had just so happened to be placed across her chest at the time, absorbing most of the impact. She fell to the floor as blood quickly pulled around her. Worried that Moat might fire again, Jacqueline Wilkinson grabbed Samantha by the arms and pulled her into the kitchen where she was out of view. Moat peered through the hole in the window, but did not fire. He wanted to make sure Samantha was alive before he fled. Leslie Stobart was screaming. Her husband Paul heard the commotion and came out of the house a few doors down. As he entered the Wilkinson's residence, he could see shattered glass and his daughter on the floor in the kitchen, slowly bleeding to death. Shortly before the attack, Raoul Moat posted a status update on his Facebook profile. It provided a window into his state of mind and ominously predicted the events that were to come. It read, Just got out of jail. I've lost everything, my business, my property, and to top it all off, my lass of six years has just gone off with someone else. I'm not 21, and I can't rebuild my life. Watch and see what happens. Soon after, The Undertaker and their police escort removed Chris Brown's body from outside the address in Burtley. Moat was still thought to be in the northeast. There were mounting concerns that he would turn his attention to either Samantha Stobart's family or those members of the police force and legal system that had seen him put behind bars. Before the shooting, 
he was sentenced to 18 weeks for domestic assault against a family member. He was freed just over two months later. Believing Samantha's new partner was a member of the police force, he was now hell-bent on causing as much carnage as possible, with a desire to go out in what was described as a blaze of glory by Samantha Stobart's stepsister. Explaining that Moat's steroid use had made him completely unpredictable, Kelly Stobart said, He's definitely not going to give himself up. We are all terrified that he's coming after us. Sam thought he was the bee's knees. Her problem was that she could not see above Raoul's chest. He's all muscles, rippling biceps, six-pack. He's all chest, but he had a tiny waist and could fit into a pair of my size eight jeans. He's got a face like a horse chewing a wasp. You wouldn't say that to his face, though. He thinks he's God's gift, but he's the most ugly thing I have ever seen. Kelly Stobart was questioned about what she would say to Moat if she could pass on a message to him. She replied bluntly, Either hand yourself in, or do the decent thing and kill yourself. Upon learning of Chris Brown's death, his half-brother described how he and his father had become estranged from Chris and they had not spoken to him in a number of years. In an interview with the Evening Chronicle, in which he did not give his name, Chris Brown's half-brother said, My dad is 79. He is devastated. He's in pretty poor health. They hadn't spoken in three years. But you put those things aside. He's his son. It was reported Chris Brown had moved north around six months earlier and his family were not aware of the new relationship he had with Samantha Stobart. They hoped they would get justice for Chris's death. Supported by officers from neighbouring constabularies, the Northumbria police deployed every available officer to locate Raoul Moat, supported by an armed patrol unit, a team of tracker dogs and a police helicopter. They hoped they could avoid any further bloodshed. But Raoul Moat had other ideas. During the early morning of Sunday, July 4th, Less than 24 hours after shooting the mother of his child and executing her partner, Moat called 999. Hello there, this is Big Gunman from Burtley last night. Uh, my name is Raoul Moat. Um, what I'm phoning about is to tell you exactly why I've done what I've done. Right? Now, my girlfriend has been having an affair behind my back with one of your officers, this gentleman that I shot last night, the Claudia instructor. Right? He's been on to me right, for years. He's a this. Harassed this, he is just won't leave us alone. I went straight six years ago when I met her, and I've tried my best to have a normal life, and you just won't let up. Right? You won't leave us alone for five minutes. I can't drive down the street without three flashing lights. You know? You've stitched this up for years, you've been caught stitching this up. So the fact of the matter is, right, that she's having a fair with one of your officers. Well, he's yep. a police officer, I wouldn't have shot him. Okay. That, right? But the thing is, you know, it's been going on, it's been going on for a while. For several minutes, he detailed what was described as his grievances with the police force. 
he told the operator that he intended to kill a policeman. Eight minutes after the call ended, he would try and do just that. Seven miles from where he murdered one person and attempted to kill the other, Raoul Moat picked his target. At the junction of the A1 and A69, uniformed officer PC David Rathband, a father to two children, was sat in his patrol car close to a roundabout in East Denton, West Newcastle, a few miles from where Moat lived in Fenham. As a member of the traffic police, the officer monitored the passing cars. Around quarter to one in the morning, Rathban noticed a figure appear behind the patrol car. He was aware that Raoul Moat was on the loose and recognised him almost immediately. The pair had crossed paths only months earlier. Along with a fellow officer, Rathband had seized an uninsured vehicle from Moat. The pair looked straight into each other's eyes. Aiming through the window in an unprovoked attack, Moat fired his weapon at PC Rathband which struck him at point-blank range in the face. Unknown to Moat, he had used the homemade cartridge meant for his former partner Samantha Stobart. The blast propelled hundreds of tiny pieces of shrapnel into the body of PC Rathband. Pieces that would need to be surgically removed for months to come many of which would still remain and cause him agony on a daily basis. The officer tried to play dead and make it appear as though he was not breathing. However, because of the sheer amount of blood from his wounds, Rathband was struggling to breathe, rasping as he fought for air. Moat then fired a second time, striking Rathband in the left shoulder. When the gunman fled the officer somehow alerted his colleagues on the radio. A quick-thinking taxi driver who was coincidentally passing the scene managed to flag down an ambulance. Aware of how serious the injuries were, PC Rathband told the paramedic treating him, Will you please tell my wife and children that I love them? Following the shooting, not even an hour later at 1.35am, Raoul Moat was again on the phone to the police, complaining that they had not taken his threats seriously. I'm not coming in alone. Users have hostage with me for so many years. They come anywhere near me and I'll kill you. I've got two hostages at the minute, right? Come anywhere near me and I'll kill them as well. I'm coming to get you. I'm not on the run. I am coming to get you. Are you taking me serious now? I've just told your officer that uh, they're on the road at the West End of Newcastle. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to destroy a few lives that you've destroyed me. Simon the Ben with everything I held. Where are you? Are you? I'm not going to tell you. Listen, I'm going to keep coming for you. I'm not going to stop. Like you didn't stop for me. As Samantha Stobart was still in a critical condition, under armed police guard, doctors and nurses fought to save PC Rathband's life at Newcastle General Hospital. The attack would have everlasting consequences.
Police combed the area with a line of officers undertaking a fingertip search of the road near the patrol car where the shooting took place. Several arrests were made after raids on properties throughout Newcastle. However, they were quickly released, as it seemed the individuals had nothing to do with the shootings. One instance was a case of mistaken identity. As Moat learned of the events and the fact that the police had searched his home, he wrote another post on Facebook. Ha ha, you can come, but you can't catch me. It seemed he had no intention of giving himself up. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. Two photographs of PC David Rathband would later be issued to the media from the police with the haunting damage caused by the shooting clearly visible. 
His face was extremely bloody and bruised. Due to their graphic nature, most television channels in the UK decided not to broadcast the images. While the officer who had a decade of experience with the force was in a critical condition, Rathband still managed to communicate clearly with his colleagues. I visited him this afternoon and I'm pleased to say that he was in remarkable spirits given what he has gone through and managed to have a conversation with me. As you know, David, who is 42 years old and a married father of two, was shot in the face and the upper body as he sat in his marked police car in the early hours of Sunday morning. PC Rathband was able to provide a detailed description of the gunman and confirm the culprit was Raoul Moat. Rathband would later describe the incident at Newcastle Crown Court. I can't remember hearing the bang of the gun. Moat fired the gun and the shot was through the window. It felt like a circular saw was ripping my face open from my forehead down to my throat. As I laid in the side of the car, I could then feel this fluid spraying from my face, which I knew was blood. Despite several operations, PC David Rathband would be left blind in both eyes. Sue Sim, the temporary chief constable of Northumbria Police, spoke about the officer and said, I have nothing but absolute admiration for David. He acted in the best traditions of the police service, showing outstanding bravery in what must have been a terrifying situation. Sim told the press who Moat was looking to target next. Raoul Thomas Moat is a wanted man. He is very dangerous and should not be approached by members of the public. We know that Moat held a grudge against the police he targeted in Gateshead yesterday. It is now believed that his grudge at the moment is with the police. As the manhunt entered its third day, a press conference was held to reach out to Moat after police revealed to the public that before the shooting of PC David Rathband, the 37-year-old father of three had called 999. Detective Chief Superintendent Neil Adamson appealed directly to the gunman. It was clear that you believe certain things to be true, which I would like to clarify with you now. You have told us that police are not taking you seriously. I can assure you we are. I want you to know that you have our full attention. Innocent people have been hurt. This must stop now. You believe that Sam was having an affair with a Northumbria police officer. Sam has told us this is not true. DCS Adamson went on to say, These are not memories that your children need to have of their father. Enough people have been hurt. You need to make contact with us now. Raoul Moat did respond, but not through Facebook or a phone call, but a 49-page handwritten letter which he had given to a friend, Andy McAllister. Titled Raoul Moat Murder Statement 4710, part of the correspondence written predominantly in capital letters, 
was first published in the Sun newspaper. It read in part, I've slept one hour per night for three weeks now and I'm chomping my jaw like I'm on ecstasy. I thought it was the medication, but I've been off it since I came out. It feels like I'm watching a film. Not real at all. Moat had first visited his friend in Kenton, Newcastle the same day he shot Samantha Stobart and Chris Brown. McAllister contacted the police. No officers remained outside to keep watch, and Moat would return later with the lengthy correspondence which he wanted his friend to hand to the police. In the letter, Moat declared war on Northumbria police, describing himself as a killer and a maniac. He wrote about the mother of his third child. Myself and Sam began our relationship in 2004 on that New Year's Eve, making our relationship of nearly six years. We'd known each other for a few years prior to this as she used to go to Newcastle drinking and talk to me while I worked on the door of Liquid Bar in the big market. We became quite close. Sam was like no other and filled huge gaps in my life and changed my view on life. Always in my adult life, I have felt alone, estranged from my entire family, and needing to belong somewhere, but never did. I used to try and fill this gap with beautiful women, but all relationships failed, as it was never enough. No matter how good the looks and personality, I wanted more, but didn't know what. I used to hate myself for this as most blokes would have lost an arm for what I had, yet I was never happy. Imagine giving one person everything, yet never really making that true connection. This hurts a woman. They look elsewhere for affection. It becomes cheating, but they won't leave me because it's me they want. I find out then comes the problems. A history of fights, threats etc. not always me. Some of these guys started with them because they wanted my partner more than me. But being all I had responded in kind to save being alone. Never had anyone devoted themselves to me like this, and this was my turning point. All my life I wanted death, hence the reason I took risks, made the worst kind of enemies and behaved the way I did. Shot it three times in my life yet didn't care, but now I had different thoughts. I wanted my life with Sam, someone who understood me and helped me be who I really wanted to be. She was beautiful, sexy and the best company ever. We waited about two months before sleeping together, which made it so much more special. In the letter, Moat explained that he was not a threat to the public, but the police should fear him as he would not stop until he was dead. At the time, he still incorrectly believed that Chris Brown, Samantha's new partner, was a police officer. Had he been an ordinary guy and not police, I wouldn't have shot him, Moat wrote. Describing his thoughts on the police, Moat continued, They took it all from me. Kids, freedom, house, then Sam and Chanel. Where could I go from there? Obviously, I have issues, but I was pushed. Blaming Samantha for his actions, Moat wrote, I am very sorry about Sam and I wish I hadn't shot her. 
just make sure she stays alive. I never cheated on her. I wish she hadn't on me. She pulled the trigger by doing that just as much as me. The letter was signed R.T. Moat. The Northumbria police responded again via a press conference appealing to Moat to speak to them. Detective Chief Superintendent Neil Adamson said, Mr Moat, we are aware that you have a number of issues and grievances. Some are very private, others relate to how you feel that you've been treated by us. We want to understand your position and I want you to realise that you do have a future. We can only help you with this if you make contact with us directly. While there appeared to have been no threats to a specific individual in the letter written by Moat, Samantha's family, who were in regular contact with the media, spoke about how scared they were. They had been told by friends who could see Moat's Facebook profile that he had drawn up what was described as a hit list. Moat threatened Samantha's family members and any police officer that got in his way. Kelly Stobart, Samantha's half-sister, said, I'm absolutely petrified because I haven't got police protection and he's angry with me and my family. I've been asking for it, but I'm not getting it. I'm really worried for my gran because she's 69 years old and he knows where she lives. By Monday, July 5th, following surgery, Samantha Stobart was convalescing from her hospital bed. In a last-ditch effort to try and convince Moat to hand himself in, Samantha, who was now in a stable condition, gave a message to the police for the father of her child, a man who had just so happened to find time to send her a get-well-soon card while being on the run. The card pictured a monkey with a thermometer in his mouth. Moat wrote, You're in hospital, but luckily the doctors say you'll be normal in no time. Well, that'll be a first. No joke intended. Get well soon, Raoul. Samantha's message to Moat was passed to the media by the police along with information that only she would know as a way to prove the message came from her. Moat was reminded he had purchased her a Lynx of London chain bracelet for Christmas. Samantha's plea for a peaceful resolution read, Please give yourself up. If you still love me and our baby, you would not be doing this. When you came out of jail, I told you I was seeing a police officer. I said this because I was frightened. I have not been seeing a police officer. As questions were being raised about whether or not Raoul Moat should have been released from prison, the plea for a peaceful resolution was disregarded. The Northumbria Constabulary referred itself to the Independent Police Complaints Commission regarding the handling of the case and why more was not done to follow up on the warning from the staff at HMP Durham about the risk Moat posed. The police continued frantically searching areas throughout the northeast, thought to be connected with the fugitive. 
The manhunt spread between the southern and northern bank of the River Tyne at Moat's old places of employment and the places he used to frequent. The Northumbria Constabulary did not believe Moat was necessarily a threat to the public, as he seemed to have his sights set on either police officers or specific individuals. Additional support was provided from the police forces in Cleveland, Cumbria, Humberside, South Yorkshire and West Yorkshire, with each constabulary drafting in their firearms officers. Detectives also called for Moat's friends to reconsider if they chose to help him, as they were only prolonging an already fraught situation. One of Moat's associates, it would seem, had let him use their car, a black Lexus described as being very noisy with damage to its bumper. The public urged to contact the police if they saw it. The first instance of Moat's potential whereabouts came in after it was reported that a man matching Moat's description brandished a shotgun in a fish and chip shop on Astley Road in Seaton de Laval, around 10 miles north of Newcastle. The incident occurred about 10.50 on Monday night at the de Laval fish bar. It had been nearly three days since the attack on Samantha Stobart and Chris Brown and almost two days since PC Rathband was shot in his patrol car during the early morning hours on Sunday. The gunman was dressed in a dark-coloured t-shirt and jeans. He was described as six foot three inches tall, muscular build, short sandy-coloured hair and was clean-shaven. He demanded cash from several members of staff before fleeing. He was walking calmly carrying something under his arm. There were no customers who witnessed what happened. However, a local resident saw what he described as a well-built man get into a dark saloon-style car which drove away around the time of the robbery. Moat utilised the same weapon that was used to take the life of Chris Brown and almost end two others. After the robbery at the fish and chip shop, details slowly emerged that it was possible the Raoul Moat was hiding in some remote woodland near Rothbury, a place he had visited when he was younger. He was said to be armed with two shotguns and a great deal of ammunition, seeking one final showdown with the police. Around 7am on the morning of July 6th, the black Lexus Moat was said to be travelling in was found by a member of the public at an industrial estate near the banks of the River Cocot. A witness has spotted two men get out of the vehicle, however neither seemed to fit Moat's description. It was queried if he was with some accomplices, or were they hostages? Well, I saw the car at the end of the road that night, uh, and then this morning I went down again with the dogs, and the car was still there, and I saw the registration was V, something or other, and uh, I thought that's V was the number they put out on the radio. So I memorised the number, which was V322 HK. This discovery caused a chain reaction that spurred an army of officers to descend on the quiet market town.
there had been several reported sightings of the former doorman in Rothbury. So using a megaphone, the Northumbria police advised 1,700 residents to remain indoors as the constabulary formed a two-mile exclusion zone around Moat's suspected location. It was believed he had set up a makeshift campsite when evidence of camping gear was discovered. He looked to be travelling with two other men, although how they were involved was unclear. There was some concern the police were dealing with a potential hostage situation, so a temporary media blackout was requested until more information was unearthed regarding the possible kidnap. The entire town was put on lockdown. Schools were closed with children still inside. The police did not allow anyone in or out. A press helicopter filmed the events, streaming the footage to millions of television screens across Britain. Proceeding with extreme caution, as they knew Moat's intentions, specialist vehicles, tracker dogs, armed officers and marksmen scoured miles of open woodland, abandoned buildings, neighbouring farms and grassland, but as night fell, Moat remained on the loose. Tearful parents were eventually reunited with their children as the residents spent an uneasy night in lockdown, fully aware that an armed self-confessed maniac was among them. One family who were allowed to return to Rothbury after passing a police checkpoint contacted the authorities as they were certain someone had gained access to both their home and a garden shed. The electricity was off, a bed was slept in, and a great deal of food was missing. However, when an armed response unit turned up, they could find no sign of the intruder. Furthermore, a disused building on Wagtail Farm located around the outskirts of Rothbury appeared to show signs of a break-in. It was here in a secluded piece of woodland that camping equipment was found, including a tent, an unwashed duvet and sleeping bag. A witness had seen smoke coming from what they thought was a campfire close by and rather than investigate themselves they alerted the authorities. A former girlfriend of Raoul Moat's Yvette Foreman had been in touch with the Northumbria police as she was confident he would travel to Rothbury as he was so familiar with the area. The couple had dated when they were both in their early 20s. Yvette Foreman told the press, He was a lovely lad back then. He had long blonde hair in a ponytail, which he wore plaited with loads of little coloured beads. He'd come up to stay from Newcastle for the weekend, and we'd go off to the woods. I mean, he was, um, you know, a daft, jokey kind of guy, um, very caring, you know. Um, he'd, he'd never done anything that he shouldn't have done, do you know what I mean? He was just starting to get into the weights, you know, so he's starting to get into it. Um, it's the only time he ever came up here for was basically just for magic mushrooms, and that was it. After describing how they met, Yvette said she knew that Moat would come to Rothbury. It's his favourite place in the whole world, she said. We'd go camping and fishing here loads when we were younger, almost every weekend, 
and he knows the woods and hills like the back of his hand. There's so much woodland and so many little nooks and crags out there. I think he could hide out for days. Concerned, Moat's former partner went on to say, People are blaming me for Rao coming up here. They think it's all a joke, but I'm terrified. I told police as soon as I heard he was on the loose, he'd be heading for here and they did nothing. If I could speak to him, I'd just say, come on pet, turn yourself in. It's not worth it. As the woodland was so densely populated, it would take the police a considerable amount of time to track him down, something the moat was likely well aware of. In a further discovery, it slowly became apparent that the two men police assumed were being held hostage by moat were in fact helping the fugitive while he was on the run. I can now inform the public that throughout this operation and investigation, we have been dealing with a complex, fast-moving and challenging hostage situation. At an early stage, it was believed that Raoul Moat may have taken two hostages around the time of the shooting in Berkeley. Intelligence led us to conduct an operation during which we arrested two men whom were on foot walking along a public road near Rothbury in Northumberland. I can confirm that both men, or the people we believe, were the hostages. Both have been arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. Detective Chief Superintendent Neil Adamson considered that there was a connection between these individuals and the camping equipment discovered. He would go on to voice his belief that the sleeping bag and duvet were abandoned only a short time before the two men were taken into custody. The following day, there was still a heavy police presence in Rothbury. Residents could travel in and out of the town, providing their vehicles could be stopped and searched at specific checkpoints. Raoul Moat had still not been found. Air surveillance was hindered by adverse weather conditions. The small town's three schools reopened, albeit under heavy police guard. Lockdown is over in Rothbury. The vehicle checkpoints continue all around the village. The police still believe Raoul Moat is in the area. I know your children are safe when they're supposed to be safe when they're in school, right? Um, this chap is supposed to have like other children. Do you know, you don't know what school they're in, so you don't know if they're going to. He's going to go and try and get them, or what? He could, their kids could be, his kids could be in the same school as mine. Frightening, really. You know, I went into the town yesterday, and and everybody was just frightened. Or everybody was asking, have they got that man yet? You know. I'm not concerned at all. From what you read, he, he's not interested in the public. He he seems to be after the police, isn't he? No, I didn't bother him. No, it's in the hand of the police. Being surrounded by police, and at the house. Oh no, I'm not something in for him. <laughs> I don't think he wanted an old woman, bully. <laughs> it would seem motored fled when police happened upon his tent, inside of which was an eight-page letter. Handwritten document, addressed to Samantha Stobart, 
the content is very much personal between the two. In it, Mr Moat reasserts his belief that Samantha's partner was a police officer. I repeat, this is not the case. The contents included information about how Moat had been driven to Burtley Gateshead, where the mother of one of his children was staying. He had rung ahead telling Samantha that he wanted to fight Chris Brown, and if Brown did not want to fight, then he would shoot him. Moat ordered the driver to wait outside until the attack was over, but after the shooting, the person helping him left. Speaking on behalf of Northumbria Police, Detective Chief Superintendent Neil Adamson discussed the letter and again appealed for Moat to hand himself in. Adamson stressed that Chris Brown was not an officer in the hope this news would somehow reach the fugitive and might dissuade him from taking any action against officers. We have decided to offer a £10,000 reward for information which leads directly to Mr Moat's detention. Mr Moat, I've said it before and I will say it again. We want to apprehend you safely. Please give yourself up. Based on the comments made by detectives, it seemed clear that Moat did not wish to target random members of the public, only the police, but it made their job tracking him down even more fraught. Moat was said to still be armed with multiple shotguns, and based on witness statements, a description was provided by DCS Adamson. Quote, He's 37 years of age. He has blue eyes and a heavy build. He has a northern accent and dyed blonde cropped hair. He's six foot three and approximately 17 and a half stone. He is right-handed and he wears size 12 shoes. We believe he could be wearing a grey or light blue hoodie, a red t-shirt, dark coloured jeans and white trainers. Clearly, the police were taking the threat that Raoul Moat posed incredibly seriously, when along with approximately 100 armed officers, including expert snipers, 20 armoured vehicles from the police service of Northern Ireland were drafted in. The cars were transported as a matter of urgency via ferry from the PSNI, who owned the largest volume of armoured vehicles of any police force in the UK. There was concern that Moat might have slipped through the net and left Rothbury. Still, DCS Adamson said, We are making steady and significant progress, and I'm confident we will apprehend Mr Moat very, very soon. The Northumbria police also employed another tactic in case Moat managed to evade capture. They visited the homes of his known acquaintances to drop off copies of a letter in which they addressed him directly. It read, Dear Rao, Early on Sunday morning you contacted us on two occasions by dialing 999 and told us about what you had done and why you did these things. You told us how angry you were and you also told us that you were sorry that Samantha had been seriously hurt. 
we understand how personal and important these things are. We want you to contact us again as soon as you are able so we can discuss these things with you and provide you with a full update on how Samantha is. Please call us on 999 and you will be put through to us immediately. In a further effort to resolve the situation peacefully, Samantha Stobart's father Paul recorded a video in which he appealed to Moat to hand himself in. Well son, please this has to stop. It's gone on far too long. What sort of memories are these of the kids that have of their father? If they ask me in the future, the Bairns, I will tell them exactly what's happened. I won't lie to them, you know that. And I don't want to have to tell them that might upset them about you or, or whatever's gone on. How will someone give it up? With the media trying to understand more about the man who had carried out the shootings, David Wilson, Professor of Criminology at Birmingham City University, spoke with a reporter for The Guardian newspaper. Discussing Moat, Wilson said, I think he has been organised about his planning of this and is carefully trying to present himself as a Rambo figure. The police need to establish a dialogue with him, not just saying the net is closing in, but to establish some future thinking where he can see himself handing himself in. He has to trust the police, and that's what they are trying to do. Wilson believed that Moat was being helped by accomplices and may have been following the events through some sort of electronic device. It seemed what he had heard was limited. Coincidentally, two further arrests were made in Rothbury during the early evening, after two men were suspected of assisting an offender. However, they were both released on bail pending further inquiries. In his interview, Professor Wilson explained the tactics used. He said that by the police telling Moat to think of his children, this made the fugitive look beyond the events of that day. Also, by offering a reward, they are potentially turning Moat's allies against him, as these possible accomplices might very well choose a financial incentive over their friendship. Wilson would later go on to write an article for Channel 4 News in which he addressed Moat's narcissism and reasoning. Wilson supposed that Moat was under the belief that his actions were someone else's fault. Quote, In one way, one can interpret each of these shootings as an extreme form of domestic violence. And like all domestic abusers, he was loath to accept any responsibility for the violence that he had used, and instead wanted to blame anyone, everyone else, for what he had done, and to justify his actions. As the search for Raoul Moat continued, his mother, Josephine Healy, was tracked down. She had not seen her son for a long time. In an interview with the Daily Telegraph, she spoke of how, when he was young, Moat did not have many friends, and he suffered from asthma. As he grew into a teenager, Moat took up karate, with his mother recalling him frequently wearing the white uniform associated with the martial art. A divide between mother and son occurred after she remarried, with Moat even threatening his mother on the doorstep of her home. 
It was like he was not my real son, she said. He did not want anything to do with me. He put his two fingers pointing to me like a gun. In a stark admission when staring at a picture of her son as a child, an angelic smile with bright blue eyes and red hair, Josephine Healy frankly said, This man does not look like my son. I feel like he hasn't been my son since he was 19 years old. He now has a totally different character, attitude and manner. Now when I see him, I don't recognise him at all. He would be better off dead. If I was to make an appeal, I would say he would be better dead. By the sixth day of the manhunt, news broke that the two men arrested during the search for Raoul Moat, who were at first considered to be hostages, had been charged with conspiracy to commit murder and possession of a firearm with intent. Appearing at court number two of Newcastle magistrates, Carl Nez and Kuramawan, known locally as Sean, were found in Rothbury near to one of the areas the police searched. Carl Nez was the driver who had transported Moat to the scene where he attacked Samantha Stobart and Chris Brown. According to some of Nez's friends, he was in awe of Moat. He too was a bodybuilder and had worked as a nightclub doorman. When Moat did some work as a tree surgeon, Nez in his mid-twenties was quick to follow in Moat's footsteps. Nez, who worked for Moat and looked after his business while his friend was in jail, lived with his mother in Dudley, a village in North Tyneside where he would often receive visits from his boss. Nez worked on a number of vehicles at the property, a passion shared by his friend and co-defendant 23-year-old Kuramawan, who had previously held down a job as a mechanic in a garage that Moat had used. The black Lexus reportedly linked to the second shooting and the robbery at the fish and chip shop was owned by Awan. Kurum Awan was raised in Blythe, a short distance from where Carl Nez lived, near the fish and chip shop that Moat robbed. It was alleged the two defendants had been what was described in court by prosecutor Paul Simon as part and parcel of Moat's desire to end the lives of officers in the Northumbria police force. The courtroom, packed full of journalists, would also hear the allegations that the pair provided Moat with the weapon used in the shootings and may have even joined him as he searched for targets. Neither suspect applied for bail and in a further hearing, both men pleaded not guilty. David Rathban's twin brother Darren was pictured outside the magistrate court where he spoke about the injured officer, whom he described as an inspiration. The Chief Constable of Northumbria Police has assured him that he has got a career within the service that he's served <clears throat> for 11 years, which even now he wants to still continue to serve the community of Northumbria. My brother is an inspiration not only to me, but he should be an inspiration to everybody involved in this investigation. 
PC David Rathban's brother would condemn Moat's actions, telling the press that Moat will always be remembered as a coward. It was being reported that in the search for Raoul Moat, marksmen from the SAS had now joined the manhunt, along with countless officers from 15 separate constabularies. Also, an associate of Moats was photographed in a flak jacket with his hands bound together, being escorted around the area where it was believed Moat had been staying. At the time, the man's identity was being kept a secret from the public. He's under arrest in handcuffs, but wearing body armour and a police cap for his own protection. As armed officers walk this man back into the woods, could he know enough to lead them to Raoul Moat? Throughout the afternoon, the search was once again focused on Wagtail Farm just outside Rothbury. Short distance away, whoever was in As the search intensified, further images of Raoul Moat were released to the press. Captured from a CCTV camera at a B&Q store in Newcastle a day before the attack on Samantha Stobart and Chris Brown, Moat was dressed in an orange top, dark jeans and white trainers. The fugitive appeared to be slimmer than the descriptions previously released. His hair had been shaved sharply at the sides, in what was described as a Mohican style. The public urged to call the police or Crime Stoppers if they saw him. Shortly after the images were published, armed police surrounded a farmhouse in West Rothbury, but again it seemed that either Moat had eluded capture or it was a false alarm. It certainly appeared that he was receiving a great deal of information from any number of people. Still, the police were determined to find out who. A further police press conference was held in which Detective Chief Superintendent Neil Adamson confirmed that an additional two arrests had been made, with the individuals suspected of assisting an offender. They were travelling on a main road in Rothbury before the maroon 4x4 vehicle they were driving was surrounded by armed officers. It was now understood that Moat was still hiding around Rothbury, with DCS Adamson reminding the reporters present that a reward of £10,000 was being offered. He made sure it was known that the police would be prosecuting anyone who was assisting or harbouring Moat during this time. Due to the varied terrain of Rothbury, dense woodland, caves and ravines, Northumbria's temporary chief constable, Sue Sim, who was appearing alongside DCS Adamson in many of the press conferences, explained that police were consulting with the Serious Organised Crime Agency and the military. A significant number of officers wearing bulletproof vests and helmets patrolling the streets of Rothbury were seen by locals with marksmen photographed by reporters surrounded by grazing cows and sheep as they lay in wait among the fields and open woodland. Long-range heat-seeking equipment was used to try and locate the 37-year-old who had avoided capture for almost a week, ignoring the numerous appeals to hand himself in.
As the investigation continued, news broke that the Northumbria police considered Raoul Moat was now a threat to the public. While reporters were keen to understand what evidence had spurred the police to form this opinion, DCS Adamson did not wish to elaborate on the matter and was keen that his comments not be interpreted to cause widespread panic. The public were urged to remain indoors, not to take any unnecessary risks, such as walking a dog, and ensure that their doors and windows were locked. It was meant to be the busiest week of the year for businesses in Rothbury that would normally welcome scores of holidaymakers and ramblers. However, with the news of a gunman on the loose, this wasn't exactly conducive of a relaxing breakaway. The couple had just so happened to be staying at a bed and breakfast on Wagtail Farm when the news broke that Raoul Moat was on the run. On numerous occasions, they found the building they were staying in surrounded by armed police and tracking dogs. Speaking to a reporter for the Metro newspaper, one of the couple said, I didn't get to sleep until 3.30 because I was on tender hooks wondering at every little sound. Her partner responded, It was a bit of a night, sleeping with one eye open. Locals had been slowly adjusting to the situation under the belief that Moat was only looking to target officers, but now it seemed a veil of unease was cast over the town as everyone was worried for their safety. Gathered in the Jubilee Hall, almost 2,000 residents were told that while there was a heightened risk, Moat had made no specific threats against the schools, children or anybody else in the Rothbury area. Police even asked the media to stop reporting on details of Moat's private life, in case this might prompt him to lash out. They called it a reassurance forum, a public meeting for local residents. Inside, there was standing room only, as dozens came to ask, could they now be targets of Britain's most wanted man? People here had been told to carry on as normal, and on the whole, they have. Up until now, police had said that Raoul Moat's grievances were directed at specific targets. But now that detectives say there may be a threat to the wider public, the public simply want to know, what does that mean? By day seven, while officers had not seen Raoul Moat even with their thermal imaging technology being utilised from a police helicopter and RAF tornado jet, there had been several suspected sightings by the public. One individual even suggested that they had seen Moat casually strolling through Rothbury High Street. Described as looking big and tall, the man was wearing a baseball cap and a dark-coloured hooded top. Only hours earlier, the locals were told that it was unlikely he would be so brazen. The scale of the police response to find Moat was considerable, with a tenth of the UK's armed officers looking for him. More arrests were made when a male and female were taken into custody, suspected of aiding Moat while he was on the run. This brought the total number of arrests to six. One positive development in the case came when the police found a mobile phone which Moat had been using. The device was discarded close to where his campsite was located on Wagtail Farm, and press reports indicated it had not been used since the arrests of Carl Nez and Kurama Wan. 
The police would soon admit that this was in fact the third pay-as-you-go mobile phone they had found. The first was discarded during the first shooting, and the second which Moat used to contact the authorities several times before PC David Rathband was shot, was found in an undisclosed location. Detective Chief Superintendent Neil Adamson told the waiting press, There have been some very positive developments over the last 24 hours. I am certain that these phones were all used by Mr Moat. We have recovered valuable information from them and are pursuing numerous leads in connection with this information. This shows the vital role the public are playing in this inquiry. Analysis of the devices would help the police understand Moat's movements and the contact he made with his accomplices. It was hoped with this information, it would bring the countless officers closer to tracking him down. But they would not have to wait long. The week-long search would finally come to an end when the police came face to face with Britain's most wanted man. This is the end of episode one. To hear more on the case of Raoul Moat and the Northumberland shootings, please tune in next week. Thank you for listening. A special thank you goes out to our new Patreon producer, Rhiannon Cole, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.